Welcome to On the Bench. This is Brennan Sinone. I'm joined today by the usual crew, Josh Newberg, Chris Nee. Josh, good morning. Happy uh, happy stock day. Hopefully it's a rebound for you and us. Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday was interesting, but I held tough. Um didn't didn't panic and rightfully so. I feel real good today. Actually leaned into it a little bit. Attaboy. Spent a little bit more money, got some good deals and uh Friday Friday's going to be a good day, Brendan. Scare money don't make money. Nee, how you doing, good sir? I'm great. <laughs> That's that big post vacation smile. He looks like he's just been outside, unwinding, living up life. No, he looks the exact same, miserable to be doing this podcast. I need to start with an apology because I jinxed Cornell Jones, apparently. <laughs> I wrote about the impact he was going to make, potentially, or at least the value he had as a walk on, which he did offer value as a walk on. And I checked the team roster for the stat of the day. Every single day I do the stat of the day, just go down the line numerically. Talk about you know, whoever's wearing number one, who's ever wearing number 10. Keep going. Keep doing a stat of the day. Got to Cornell Jones. Checked the roster in the morning. He was on there. So you did check the roster, actually, before you hit publish. Did you did yeah. you search for his name specifically? No. What I do is I – well, I check everyone. I mean, I did wrote it the day before, and he was mm-hmm. next in line. So he was there on Wednesday. Then Thursday, I just scrolled down into the very bottom of the roster, and you can see how many guys there are. Like, it's Connect Four. Like, there's mm-hmm. four names at the bottom. And then later in the evening, I had someone text me and be like, hey, there's only three names at the bottom of this. Okay, so when you published it, you know his name was on the roster. Yes, it was there in the morning. Yes, yes. (laughs) So there was no no one missing. So anyways, he was dismissed. And uh, we're trying to find out why, although I don't don't know if we're really going to make a ton of calls. No, let's let's not spend any more time on a walk-on linebacker. Uh, Today, actually, we are going to do a mailbag. And since I'm the one that posted the the topic on the message board, I'm going to host it. Um, you guys submitted a lot of questions. We had like three or four pages of questions. So I have them all here and I kind of broke them into four segments. I realized that you guys wanted uh, predictions, whether it be recruiting or, or season. Uh, we got a recruiting segment coming. We have a team segment and then there were some off topics. So I'm probably going to weave in and out of these, uh, not just do one at a time. So Let's get it moving. And in true Newberg fashion, with my ADD in full effect, I'm going to keep this thing moving quickly. Um, let's start it off. This is a question from Noel Remorse. Are you hearing anything as far as a coaching program expectation or as far as a coaching or program on expectations on starting the season on time? Brendan, I'll throw that to you first. What are we hearing? I like that... Uh that you have to read all these questions now and see, it's not so easy. The shoe is on the other foot. The tables have turned. We're going to have new. not always English. He's going to turn. That's part of the issue is when the commas aren't in the right place and your brain reads it a certain way. Uh, you're gonna, so what are you hearing on expectations starting the season on time? You're going to have a tank top at the end of this and be apologizing at the very end of this podcast. I think the season seems like it's in line to start on time. The NCAA just approved yesterday a, a timeline to essentially get players in shape and, and mm-hmm. uh, put out certain hours of what they can do for walkthroughs with a football a week workouts uh, film stuff so there's a plan for the next i believe chris you can correct me if i'm wrong six weeks uh, to get yeah, guys the, back ready right yeah the nta football oversight committee approved thursday a six-week plan for a run-up to the season it includes them getting together voluntary workouts and it rolls all the way up to when they actually start a month-long preseason practice so that sets the table for the season to start on time. That has to be approved. Moving. That still has to be approved next Wednesday by the NCAA D1 Council, but the expectation is that it will be. Everything's moving in the right direction, I think is the answer okay. to the question. Everything seems positive right now, Josh. Right. Chris, to you, more likely that we play our full schedule or that one or more games is canceled in your I mind? Think, I think they played a full schedule. I think the from an FSU perspective, the most difficult game from a logistics standpoint is a trip to Boise, and it works out luckily for them that they have the bye week after. So, you know, you charter a private plane, you fly to Boise, you play, you essentially have a two-week window before your next game. I think that one helps them to get over a potential hurdle that could exist, especially in the early season schedule. Mm, okay. Let's move on to recruiting. We'll come back to some, some prediction stuff. But uh, D. Heasy wants to know, who do you think will be the highest, best recruit we can land in 21, or is he already committed? So currently, the top-rated commitment, just, just for context, is Brandon, Jenning, Brandon Jennings. 
And he is a four-star prospect. The composite has him as the number 77 prospect overall. From there, you go to Hunter Washington, who's the number 234th best player overall. So Brandon Jennings, by far and away, is FSU's top commitment. Um, Luke Altmaier sitting there at 262 nationally. We expect him to get a bump, but probably not into the top 100. So my question to Chris is, do you think right now that Florida State's going to land somebody better than Brandon Jennings, at least rankings-wise? Well, it's funny. Two weeks ago, I would have said Michael Trigg, but now mm-hmm. it doesn't look like that's in play. Um, I think the ones you got to keep an eye on are like Tyrion Arnold, potentially, and Dustin Payson, yeah. currently ranked behind Jennings. But I think both of those guys have the ability to move up in the rankings. I'm not as convinced that Brandon Jennings is eventually going to get the bump, even though I believe he should be ranked higher than he actually is. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the field on this. I'm gonna say that FSU will land somebody higher in the rankings than Brandon Jennings currently sits at number 77. I just don't exactly know who it is. I, I mean, I think you're right. It's probably going to come from in-state. Somebody's going to have to uh, uh, make that decision and stay home, maybe like a Terry and Arnold or something. Um, but we'll see. Brandon Jennings isn't, isn't a bad centerpiece to start with here in uh, June, though. All right. Let's stay on recruiting, actually, and talk about Michael Trigg, NYC Knoll 92. What was more shocking, Michael Trigg not having FSU in his top 10 or Manny Rogers not qualifying? Trigg. Yeah, for you, Trigg, not for me. I didn't have him crystal balled at FSU. I mean, there were times where I was close to having him crystal balled, uh, but I just wasn't there yet. Manny Rogers surprised me, um, not at the time the report came out, because Manny Rogers was the last to kind of um, to make it to campus. So we knew something was up, but I just, you know, there wasn't a lot of sirens going off with Manny Rogers throughout his recruitment that he, that he might be a guy that eventually doesn't make it. And, you know, maybe the shutdown is, is kind of what the catalyst was to that. But to me, I think it was more surprising about Manny Rogers. Uh, yeah, that- Chris, have you reached out and heard from Trigg at all this week? I did reach out to him. I asked about the Norvell meeting that we were told was supposed to happen. He did not respond to that. We talked about something else, but it didn't pertain to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if he's had that conversation, if it's changed his mind at all. And just a quickie on Rogers. Rogers comes from a tough background. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, speaking to the source that informed me that he was going to JUCO, that person said that the shutdown, the inability to walk into a school building on a daily basis was really a big negative for Manny to try to finish up as he needed to. Hmm. Okay. Knowles 2019 asks, other than Clemson and Florida, if you had to pick one game in 2020 that could turn the tide for the program, what would it be? Brendan, are you going to say West Virginia? Yes, because this team has lost the season opener, what, three years in a row Mm -hmm. now? Uh, And they've been floating around 500, leaving the first month of the season since 2017 so yeah you got to win set the right tone this team right now has a self-fulfilling prophecy to where like i feel something snowball something goes wrong right. and it snowballs we saw that with boise state last year yeah you, you got to win even the with one. a different head coach you still get that feeling right until do you remember i was watching the mj documentary i was really late on it i watched it this past weekend mm-hmm. he makes the shot the game winning shot in the national championship game as a as a true freshman and that's when he becomes michael jordan he says like when you start believing he goes from mike jordan to michael jordan when you start believing that you can accomplish something like it, right. it's so much different than when you think something's going to I agree with that. And it almost makes the West Virginia game the most important game of the season. I don't think that's far-fetched because it's a winnable game. I know know that's hard to grasp because if you can say if they beat Clemson, how is that, you know, how is West Virginia? But I almost feel like without beating West Virginia, you really don't, you really don't have much of a shot to beat Clemson or Florida. Do you remember the season preview podcast we did last year, Josh? And you and I both Mm -hmm. said that Boise State game was probably like a two game swing for them, win or lose. It was more than just one game. And and that, we believe that fully. And that, and that came to fruition, too. Yeah, but no, that, that, was, that was true. Uh, they struggle against ULM the next week and then lose against Virginia. Like that, that carried with them and really dug them a hole. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I kind of feel that's a similar boat now for, for this team. I'm All actually right. I'm going to go with Boise State just to be a little different. Plus, I actually do feel this way. I think it's important for them at the third week of the season after playing Sanford the prior week that they look like a better team than they did out of the gate week one, because they've had a couple weeks to get a feel for one another in game situations, all of those things. Plus I think Boise is a big game because one, it's obviously a road game and two, it's right before your bye week. And when you fully dive into ACC schedule, 
you play eight straight ACC games after that, after the bye week. So I think it's a table setter for what's more important to them, which is doing well in the conference versus the overall schedule. Okay. So Jay Samanovich asked, um, I was going to get to this later, but he kind of asked, uh, what is the game this season that solidifies you believing this could be an eight win or more team? A road win versus Boise was his question. Uh, national <laughs> spotlight week one versus West Virginia. So this is kind of, I think, and this answers his question for your answer. Yeah, and I I think Boise is that one because it is the table setter for going into conference play, which is obviously two thirds of your whole schedule. Right. And, and if you I mean if you beat West Virginia and you beat Boise State and was Sanford's in between there, Chris? Yeah. So that if you start three and zero, then eight mm-hmm. wins looks very very, possible. very 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 possible at that point. And momentum mm-hmm. again is kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. All right. I want to ask this to you, Brendan, now get it out of the way because we had several people kind of get to this in different forms. So um, injury update on Dante Lucas and anybody else that you guys want to talk about injury wise. But there's a lot of Dante Lucas questions. There are a lot of Dante. Shocking that the fan base is worried about a a (laughs) really good young offensive lineman. So he suffered the foot or ankle injury in the bowl game against Arizona State. Obviously awful timing because it's the last game of the season when we had seen him at the uh the tour of duty workouts he's kind of rolling around on a scooter i've heard really good things that he's ahead of schedule now i don't know if that means he's ready to play in week one but for someone who was again on a scooter on a walking scooter just a few months ago i heard really good things that he's moving around and uh and i think we'll have at least a chance to participate in camp and and who Mm -hmm. knows where he goes from there so it's encouraging i i was told ahead of schedule is is where he's at uh, Hampson Nazarene people have asked about as well. I've seen that, yep. Josh. Yep. I don't, I don't have like a direct line to this, but I've mm-hmm. heard indications that that's moving in a good direction too for them. And, and I think there's a good chance they'll be ready for, for the season opener. And same for Keyshawn Helton. I've yeah, heard Keyshawn. that Keyshawn's doing great. I know he's in excellent shape. Like he's physically prepared to go back at it. I think the biggest question mark remaining for Keyshawn is the ability to do all the football movements that are involved with everything a receiver has to be asked to do. Initially, he, initially it was a midseason return for him, I think, is kind of what the indication was. And yeah. I think it's pressing to be a little bit earlier than that now. Gotcha. Any updates on Anthony Grant, his status or conditioning? He's still with the team. He's still on the roster right mm-hmm. now. Don't know about his conditioning. Uh, yeah, he's still currently. I had chased a rumor a few weeks ago that he wasn't with the team. And I was told that's not accurate, that he's still with the team. So, I mean, I think the Jay Sean Corbin coming back and being healthy and getting the waiver really lessens the focus now on Anthony Grant. I think a lot of people were kind of panicking and, and, and hoping that Anthony Grant would get back and be in addition to this roster. But at this point, I mean, I don't know how much, well, we'll I guess we'll learn more in, in fall camp, but I don't think the focus is as bright on him as it once was. Let's move to something off topic. Knock one of these out. Um, this is, this is, this is fun. It's a hypothetical two situations. You got to pick one. The first one is, will he somehow keep Sam Howell committed and wins enough games to be at FSU still? Two, the situation we are in right now with the rebuild ahead and Mike Norvell at the helm. Keep in mind, both these situations happen with the pandemic still occurring. It's an either or. It's Um, going with number two. I I don't need Willie Taggart around my football team. I learned that in two years. Like unorganized. Uh, just not sure what the hell he's actually doing. Not sure what the end goal is. Nah, I'm I'm good. I'll take option two. I don't need to think twice. Thanks, Sam Howell. That would have been nice, but nah, still would have Willie Taggart. Don't need it. Yeah, and it'd be uh, really hard to it. 2020 is the is a great year to have a bad season as a head coach with the financials <laughs> that every program's facing. It, it's a good year to have a down year. You know what I mean? If if the fans don't show up, like that may not even be you may not even be able to quantify that right, because might, bad attendance may not really matter a whole right, lot. TV viewing is going to be up no matter what. Yeah. That's uh two is probably the safe bet here. I, I mean, I, I like, I know FSU, I agree. They do have a rebuild ahead, but it is what it is. Who would you rather be leading that rebuild Norvell or Taggart Norvell Norvell, but man, it's hard to say no to a, a star quarterback and Sam Howell, every indication is he looks like a, like a star. I was doing this the other day. I may like actually write about it. 
but it may hurt people's feelings. Like the, what could have been with Willie Taggart's first recruiting class, Nick Cross ended up having a really good freshman season. Kayvon Thibodeau's getting like all American buzz after mm-hmm. his freshman season. Sam Howell's a franchise QB. <laughs> I mean, what what could have been if they had just They're stumbled into good players. If they had just stumbled into two more wins that mm-hmm. first season, that that fine line. But uh, but I, I'm ultimately with you guys. I feel really confident with Mike Norvell and what we've seen from him. Obviously, there's some question marks with recruiting the state of Florida, but him navigating this pandemic. I think you're in really good hands with him as good a hands as you can possibly be given yeah. the circumstances. Good question there from Tony Capone. Um, 10 Knowles has a recruiting question. I'm expecting to see a lot of decommits this season. What top prospects do you see Florida state flipping? Does this also mean that since a lot, there's going to be a lot of decommits that none are going to occur to Florida state's roster. It's just, they're just Florida state going out, flipping others. I don't know. 10 Knowles. Um, the ones that Florida State is going to flip, um, I guess everybody has their eyes on Big Lee Hunter. I don't think any – look, they're only going to be able to flip as good of a season that they have. Like if Florida State has a good season, wins eight or nine games, they have some momentum, they're going to come out here and they're going to be able to to, to do some damage. Um, but as far as the elite prospects committed to elite schools, I don't really see them having much of a shot at flipping those type of recruits this season. Yeah, I think, a kid, I think a kid like Katravian Hargrove, the Louisiana Tech commitment they just offered at running back is the type we should be looking at. Mm-hmm. A guy like Lee Hunter, if he flips, he ain't necessarily flipping to Florida State. There's a whole lot of good programs in between him flipping right. and FSU being the destination. Not saying FSU couldn't contend for him. They certainly could. Odell has a relationship. Marcus Woodson's been involved. But there's Tennessee. There's Alabama. There's uh, Auburn obviously isn't going to go away. I believe Georgia would be another one in that. So there's several programs that, you know, when FSU is contending against them right now for guys, they're not winning those head to heads. And then you have to look at Florida state's commit list too. They have a bunch of kids committed to, from out of state. We know that um, that's always dangerous. You know, when it gets down to it, if you're recruiting these out-of-state schools, you don't always have the ability to get them on campus when it comes crunch time. Um, right now, Florida State sits in a great spot with all these, with with a bunch of these guys. But at the end, when the in-state schools get involved and you start thinking about moving away from home, um, Florida State's going to have their hands full too down the stretch. I'm not saying they're going to lose a bunch of guys, but the way that this commit list is is shaping up with guys kind of being committed from all over the Southeast, it's going to be a little bit tough. You'd ideally like to have more of your your top prospects from the state of Florida, but it is what it is with Florida state right now. Bloom two, four, six wants to know who do you think is going to be the fullback when Norvell does use one, Brendan? Ooh. So he used a defensive end at Memphis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm blanking on the name. It's like Jojo Dorsey, Dorsey, I think, uh, but it was a big, like 260 pound defensive end kind of sawed off. He was like six foot. So stocky. And that's the position Norvell will coach specifically when they go into their power packages. So I don't think it's going to be a tight end type of like conversion. I don't think they have that bulldozer on offense. So I think they're going to have to look into the defense. I like Dennis Briggs as someone who's not like essential to the, the starting lineup. He's in the rotation. So you can spare like him five reps on offense a game. Uh, you know, you're, right. you're going to go bigger, but he's athletic. He's strong. You're going to go bigger, huh? You want to go Marvin Wilson? I'm going Marvin Wilson. <laughs> Marvin Wilson. What do you, if I set the uh, under over at 0.5 carries, you taking the under over for Marvin Wilson? Oh, on the season? I think on if the there's season. a blowout, you give that guy the ball in the, uh, in the end zone at least once. Yeah, I'll take, I'll take the over on it. <laughs> Chris? I, uh, I think Malcolm Ray or Jamarcus Chapman, because they're both a little bit more athletic than you expect for a guy at their position. Mm-hmm. I think that would be two that would be interesting bodies. Is there a linebacker that could make the move? Because we've seen that Kevon, at Florida State in the past. Kevon, Kevon Glenn, Stephen Dix. I think both of them, I mean, they're both guys that are yoked up who are mm-hmm. ready to hit somebody and put them on their ass. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. All right, Big Squeeze 3 asks, how will Fuller get the defensive staff? How will Fuller and the defensive staff get Hamza and Jaden Wood be on the field at the same time? It's a great question because mm-hmm. that's something I've been pondering all offseason, both – in theory are more boundary side safeties and that they're, they're more physical run stopping type of guys. That's again, moving with the assumption that Jaden would be stays at safety, which he was right. early in the spring. 
both of those guys could also play the stud linebacker role too, which is kind of that hybrid linebacker safety spot. But Amari Gaynor was there in the spring. I don't think you move Amari Gaynor off of that. Like Amari's going to start. You want to get both of those guys on the field. Ultimately, I think you uh, you mix both Jaden and Hamsa in at the boundary role, and you occasionally put Hamsa as a field safety, which he played some last year and played well. Not full-time, but you go back and look at the Boise State game. He's at boundary early in the game, and then he's playing field later on at times too. is probably going to be your chess piece that you move all over the place. So I think you're going to mix and match at various points depending on scheme and whatnot. But, but yeah, I would see the, both those guys at the fi- on the field at the same time at safety. I, I would say a good like chunk of the time, maybe 30% or so. Chris, anything to add there? No, nah, I think Sedona nailed it. Bam. This goes to you, Chris. Same uh, person, Big Squeeze 3. If it if if it looks like we're done with transfers on the O-line, who do you project being the starting five? And especially they want to talk about – he wants to talk about center. I uh, love Hamilton, Scott. I think Baselli probably over Johnson at center right now. I think that's still a battle to be determined, though. Can we can we talk about Josh putting Bayvon Johnson in, at, like, fifth on his most important <laughs> player list? I think he was sixth. Six, sorry. On the way off there. It does come down to who who you think is starting at center and whoever is is playing. Yeah. And my important. I was thinking in terms of like baby on John, this this Florida State offense line has been in shambles, especially at the center position. I mean, Florida State can barely get somebody that can snap the ball. Well, especially at the left tackle position. So my point was like if Atkins could get the most out of baby on Johnson and he could become the player that we think he is, and he could be kind of the anchor center of the offensive line that would make a huge impact on the, the overall play of the whole unit. So I guess I was looking at like in a best case scenario. um, That's why I had him as being so important. I I just think of all the alignment, like if anybody's going to break out and play to their potential of what we thought they would be when they came in, baby on Johnson would make the biggest impact on the, on the offense. Josh largely constructs his list the exact opposite way I do mine, which is I've kind of lost hope with these guys. <laughs> so, like, you know, Josh is like best case scenario. I'm like, eh, he hasn't done it to this point in his career. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bank on him doing it now, Matt. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the other two would be Lucas and Washington to answer to your original question. Okay, good. Um, anything to add to that? Anything you disagree with, Sonona, on the starting five? Uh, Chris went in my brain worked opposite of Chris's. I think he went from right to left. I Correct. Left to right in my mind would be uh, Darius Washington, assuming that he's healthy, which I think he will be by the start of the season at left tackle, like what he did as a freshman, Dante Lucas. Mm-hmm. I would go Andrew Baselli at center right now. I think he's a little bit more steady with the snapping. and uh, But those two, Babyon and him are interchangeable. Maybe Maurice Smith's jumps up there, Brady Scott, and then Love Taylor at, at right tackle. So pretty close to what Chris had. Actually, Shamrock exactly. 7326. What's your death row meal? Oh, Fried so frog like legs and meal? a case of bush light for this guy. Atta boy. That might kill you just from eating eating those. Forget about actually being on death row. Uh, I think like a really good steak would have to be like a filet mignon, like a great steak. I love mac and cheese. So something really starchy and carby to go with like a ton of fat and uh, juicy steak. And if they're going to fry me, like I want it to be messy. A gator sausage and cheese grits. Mm, Cheese grits. Uh, I'd probably go with like, I'd probably go with a really big juicy cheeseburger and oysters. There you go. I think that's what I would do. I think those are all acceptable. Brendan, this is to you from AVFO3. Do you think any of the PWOs contribute outside of practice squad eventually? Uh, from this, from this group, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. Yeah, from, not, I don't not know this, from what other group to choose from. Um, I guess so. I didn't know if maybe there were guys who are already who are already like there, like a like a white rector or someone like that would or Deontay Sheffield. Just any any of these guys that are not on scholarship. I mean, yeah, take into account Deontay Sheffield and whoever else you want, I guess. Sure. There are a couple of the tight ends who I will think like in a couple of years could be. They loaded up like on seven of them. I'm trying to think of the like was it Cade Cunningham? Um mm-hmm. I'm pulling up the names right now. The the wrestler. Uh yeah, there's a there's a couple of guys who I don't think I don't think it's fair to expect any expectations like of, of these guys right now to come in and do anything like year one, but like Parker self from, from Georgia as a wide receiver was really, really good. You go and look at his, his highlights. I think that's a guy that FSU is excited, uh, excited to get a Caden Cunningham kid. I mentioned was the, uh, 
the the walk on from Lakeland. Uh, he was a wrestler, really good. Jeb Schrader is Thomas Schrader's brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, really productive high school linebacker, defensive end. Like these are guys who in three years or so can maybe give you something. But I'm not here. Yeah, they're walk on. I mean, they're right walk ons for a reason, right? Yeah. You, just hope that, you just hope that they're depth and they help you out on the scout team. And I think that there's guys who are going to be able to do that right away, which is, which is solid, which is good. Also, sometimes those guys find a role on special teams and they thrive at it because that is their one chance to get a bite of the real game action. So they can kind of go all out and they help and they, they help alleviate the need of a more important player who's playing more snaps, having to deal with those situations where there's high impact collisions and such. Who was the wide receiver, Chris, from Monticello? Jackson, Jared, Jared, or yeah, Jared? Jared Jackson won. Daniel Parvin, uh, actually a friend of mine, was a linebacker that played some special teams when he was a walk-on here. Nick Patty had a role mm. like that when he was here. There's been guys over the years who have definitely made an impact as a walk-on type. And we'll, I think we'll see like Wyatt Rector this year on special teams. Uh, he was doing that in the spring. I think Dante Sheffield is someone who's continued to show you could trust him in special teams capacity. So yeah, those guys bring value in different ways. My man NRG Noel wants to know who on the current staff is most likely to become a head coach. I'll let Chris take that one first. I mean, I think it's in Kenny's future, but if I had to pick like who's most likely the soonest, I'd probably go coach Fuller. I think Adam Fuller certainly comes off as somebody who acts as a head coach, the way he speaks Mm -hmm. about things, the way he addresses things, the way he thinks about things. That's a big picture with all these parts under him working. Um, And I think he's a good coach. So I think he's a guy that if he is able to turn around this defense here and turn it into a capable defense that puts FSU in a better position to be a successful football team, I think that increases his likelihood to be a head coach in the coming years. But I, I certainly think long-term Kenny Dillingham is going to be a head coach one day. I just don't know how soon that will be since Kenny, you know, is barely legal to drive at this point. Brandon, oh, you want me, you, do you want to weigh in? Yeah. Just, got, or do I, you agree with that? I agree that the, I mean, the coordinators are always going to have the closest path. What do you I, think about Chris Marv? I was going to say Marv, long-term. And Marv mm-hmm. and Atkins long-term would be the two that I would bet on to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be the guys long-term, those would be the two that come to mind that I see head coach potential in for sure. Hmm. The one coach on the current staff that I hope is not going to become a head coach is Odell Hagens. Because if Odell Hagens is the head coach at Florida State again, that means we fired Mike Norvell and are in search of another head coach. So (laughs) hopefully it's not, it's not Odell Hagens for, for only that reason. Um, Knowles 939913 champs wants to know what is your true and and that's in all caps true assessment of James Blackman I don't think he wants you to lie on this one and do you feel he's a quarterback that can win you 10 games or do you feel he's reached his ceiling whoever wants that one first I don't think he can win 10 games with this current team Mm -hmm. I don't think there's enough pieces around him to help elevate him to that level I to some degree I think James is slightly ruined um, I hope I'm wrong in that regard, but I, after watching the Sun Bowl and knowing how up and down miserable last year was for him, both emotionally and on the field, I just don't have high hopes for him. I, I think he's a guy that's going to try to help you win as much as humanly possible, but I just don't know that he's at the point where he's been developed. He's been in a mess from a development standpoint because he's not had any form of consistency in his career at Florida State with regards to quarterback coaches, coordinators, head coaches, it's been completely, you know, bing, bang, boom, different offensive systems. That's bad for the development of a quarterback. So I just, I don't have a whole lot of optimism with James finding a great deal of success, despite the fact I believe he would love to do so. Mm. Let's lean into some of these recruiting questions now. OZ5602 wants to know, who are some DNs FSU has a real shot at landing? Chris, I know we've kind of been looking into this and we're going to do something more in depth on Knowles 24 seven in the next coming days. But who are some of the DNs FSU has a real shot at landing? Uh, Zion Reeves from North Carolina is one that immediately comes to mind. FSU's done a good job there. He likes coach Papuchas a good bit. Um, Sean Bray Jackson, but the question with him is where does he ultimately develop into positionally? There's mm-hmm. some people that believe he's going to slide into the interior. I'm up and I'm play with that people. role. Um, and then, you know, a guy like Brandon Jennings, who's already committed, is a guy that we have had discussions of potentially moving down to the Fox role and playing more of a defensive end role for Florida State. 
So they're the first three that immediately come to mind for me. I do think there's some others that we need to know about. Um, trying to think, you can toss out a name for me, Josh, if you want to help. Uh, you talked about Reeves. Um, yeah, I talked about. I, I feel like Reeves is a guy that they're in a great position for at this point. That they. What about really the other D at in state uh, that FSU hasn't offered? I saw there was a couple questions on that. Is his name Deontay? Deontay Anderson, Anderson. from Central Florida, near the Lakeland area. I don't know if FSU is very involved there. I need to check with him. He's the kid that I loved on film before right. he got ranked highly. He's picked up a good bit of offers recently. Um, I think, like, you know, I like Dallas Turner. I think Dallas Turner is one of the best players in the country, but he's not attainable for FSU at this mm-hmm. current time. I think Deontay Anderson is kind of a next-tier kid who can kind of fill a similar role. I think that's the tough part about this defensive end position. We 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 know there's a bunch of names on the board, right? And you have a, a bunch of great players, but which of those players are attainable? And right now it's hard to say without these kids being able to take visits and stuff. While we know maybe a, a top end kid is is talking to FSU and communicating, that's a good thing. But if if this were really June and it was camp season, would he be camping at FSU right now? You know, and some of these things are hard to nail down without visits taking place. So hopefully things open up soon and it'll help us get a better grip on all that. Yeah, um, and TB I, golf seven, one, four, who are the five recruits in your scouting career that you thought were studs, but whiffed on? Um, I don't think we need to name five each, but just off the top of my head, um, Mario Pender really stands out to me. If you told me that Mario Pender would graduate from Florida state, and never make an impact on the field. I'd, I'd say you're crazy for two reasons. One, I was, I didn't really expect him to ever graduate from Florida state or finish his career at Florida state. And two, Mario Pender was so good in high school. I didn't think there was any way that ability would, would be the thing he lacked. Um, I'll go with Matthew Thomas. I know he had a good career, but I, I thought Matthew Thomas. Could, yeah. Matt's one of the best high school players I ever watched. I've ever watched. Right. And if you didn't know about Matthew Thomas's high school career and you only watched what he did in college, you wouldn't have, you know, he wouldn't really, he'd be a blip on your radar. We just knew the potential of Matthew Thomas and we just never really saw that at Florida state. Two great talents. I think of that got swallowed up by things not on the field was Willie Downs and Fred Rouse. Mm -hmm. I mean, both of those guys, local guys, they were unbelievable, great players. Um, but it just never happened for separate reasons, but it was more so, you know, could not get out of their own way to allow their talent to take over on the field. Brendan, anybody in your, uh, your time covering FSU that you thought was going to be a stud Uh, didn't quite pan out. Two things. One, I don't miss when I scout someone. It's a hundred percent hit rate Two, you guys just lost me for the last five minutes. I got vault access to ABC, meaning I just picked up a battle of George T stag for 110 bucks. It's a really good bourbon at a really good price. Well, you should drink it on the next show. That's, 60, that's the only I, way. It's like sixty-five percent. I may, uh, I may die if I drink. We'd it finally have an interesting podcast. <laughs> uh, when I worked for one name that, like, I don't think he was a buzz because he produced, but uh, James Wilder Jr. Just yeah. you watched him in high school and like what he could be. Whether it was that running back, linebacker, whatever, he was a beast. And he gave you a couple glimpses of it, and he's still mm-hmm. playing professionally. But just someone who was like, I thought there, there was no way you could miss on him. And he just. We thought he was going to be a franchise player. Yeah, he was like a 60% of what he could have been. Like, he wasn't a bust. He just wasn't uh, great. Uh, another guy, like, I thought was going to have a really, really steady career and make it to the NFL uh, was going to be Kermit Whitfield just because of the speed. And he had obviously the moments in the national championship game. And then, uh, and then he had a really nice junior season as well, where he had like 700 receiving yards. But just the inconsistency, the speed never really quite manifested itself in anything special on offense and to me that was a disappointment again what what could have been maybe not a bust but mm-hmm. someone who failed to live up to to their potential in the way back machine a guy like damon mcdaniel he's from 06 Sinone probably doesn't even know who the hell i'm talking no about, i don't know i don't i was in high school he, he was, was actually god be where was he no no he was from up in virginia if i remember correctly he was actually like percy harvin's best friend and they may have even been teammates or they were from a similar area, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. But his nickname was Smiles, came down here. He was athletic as they get. He could do a lot of things. He kind of had the Preston Parker game to him where he could mm-hmm. do different things, lining him up in different places, but it never came together. I, I believe he left FSU. I forget where he transferred to, but 
just never amounted to a whole lot. Millie Kenry, was, Millie, Millie Kenry would be one other name that mm, I think the red flags were yeah, there. We we all kind of expected Super that talented, one to go sideways. Yeah, yeah. Um, D. Heasy wants to know who do you think is the most important recruit to keep in twenty one class? Does anybody disagree with me with Luke Altmaier? No, I don't disagree with you. You're a genius. <laughs> okay, JD two one two zero four three one. If you had to guess on what additional commitments we pick up before the season starts, who are they, and why do you feel there's a strong chance they pop prior to the season? All right. So Andrew Jones, we know has a commitment date start at the end, at the, set for the end of the month. Um, right now, we all have our crystal ball picked on him. So Andrew Jones is one. Destin Payson is another. Uh, we think he could commit. We all have our crystal balls on him. He's just gone dark as far as the timeline goes. Maybe we see something before the season starts since we know he was kind of close back in March. Um, oh, okay. Who else on the top of my head? Who do we have all the crystal balls in? Um, I mean, Reeves is a guy I think ends up at FSU, but I don't think the timeline's there right now where he's considering yeah. a decision. One guy that I don't have a crystal ball pick in that I feel pretty confident is coming to Florida State, I feel good right now about Sean Bray Jackson. And again, he's kind of gone on record to say he's not going to make his decision till the middle of the season, so maybe it doesn't fit this question. But right now, he's a guy that I feel good about. What about so before the season starts, though? Is there anybody uh, else... I think River Helms wants to visit before he decides, but I think he's a kid that's leaning this way since he got the offer earlier this mm-hmm. week. I think that uh, not necessarily two FSU, but two targets worth keeping an eye on are Rod Warren, Jacoby Jackson. Those offensive tackle dominoes are flying over quickly. And I think those are two guys that you start seeing a lot of push by different schools to try to get them on board because there's just not a lot of offensive tackles out there. Or is a guy that I think if you could get on campus here, FSU would be pretty close to securing that one because of the need, because of the location, because of the fact they're one of his higher ranking offers. But the lack of a visit makes it a little bit more of a wild card situation. Hmm. All right. Where do I want to go now? Which position coach, Brendan, do you think will get the most out of their players this upcoming season? Uh, this is all relative, right, to what expectations are. Uh, I think the state. Sorry, my dog's being really, really loud right now. Willie, you're messing everything up for everyone. Good. He stopped. Alex Atkins. I'll go with Alex Atkins. I think, one, Mm-mm. he has a good idea of what he wants in his line. Uh, the expectations are going to be really low uh, based on just what the offensive line has been for the better part of the last half decade for Florida State. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Atkins is a really good coach. He has coordinator experience. Uh, but, but he knows what he wants and I think what he has in his line. He's valuing length. He's valuing athleticism. I think you have that with, with Darius Washington, with Brady Scott, with his length. Dante Lucas, I know he's not like a, a huge prospect in terms of like length, but he's thick, he's strong, he's nasty. So you have three or four pieces and you have Love Taylor. Like you have guys in place where he can work with them. I think mm-hmm. Alex Atkins is sharp. I think he has an idea of how to cater like to strengths and hide weaknesses given that he has coordinator experience i'm going to go with him as someone who's going to be able to maximize uh, his his position group as well as anyone i'll go with chris merv i think that position's improved a great deal from a talent standpoint i also think they've yeah. improved a great deal from a coaching standpoint yeah i, I agree I, I i hope it's atkins i hope it's atkins that gets the most out of his his unit because if, if atkins can get the most out of that o-line that's the best chance for florida state to have to turn things around switch to off topic forever Knowles wants to know top five netflix series movies during the stay at home we don't need to name five but like i liked um i've been watching i watched all those arcs from one to finish i'm in the middle of billions right now uh, little fires everywhere was great and uh the scheme uh documentary on hbo was was really good i enjoyed upload um just you know light and laugh uh I, ozarks i love i've kept up with that kind of in real time looking forward to the fourth season already uh i'm starting a heist i was told to try to heist some i'm mm-hmm. about two three episodes in on that i'm gonna give that an effort but yeah I try to read a book here and there too, and not watch just a bunch of stuff on TV. My wife Brendan. and I are we're, we're my wife and I are rewatching. So this is our second time through True Blood. 
my wife's gotten way into the crown um, and the historical context of the crown's interesting to yeah. me as someone who enjoys history. So I'll, I'll watch that with her here and there, but I'm not sitting through every episode as she is. It's sexy vampires having sex. Like, I, yeah. True blood started great, but man, by the end of it was pretty it's, awful. It, yeah. The last, <laughs> the last three seasons are, are pretty uh, tough to get through. We're almost done with it. Uh, and then I want to, uh, to get into billions is next on the line. Uh, oh, but yeah. I've been, I've been trying to read, I've been trying to read a little bit more too. I just finished the shining, which was awesome. So I'm probably going to stick to some Stephen King genre stuff. Can't go wrong there. All right. Back to football real quick. How much I like this question. It's long. I'm not probably not going to read all of it. Subpart <laughs> F. I saw that question. There's the questions in the beginning and then there's like, the, yeah, sentences. the questions in the beginning and it, it, it is good. Um, how much, Concern, do you feel about the immediate direction of the program simply lacking the talent to win in any meaningful way? And he goes on, but I'll just leave it there. I, I think that's a fair concern. I've <laughs> said on record many a time that I think this is one of the least talented teams I've covered in almost in 20 this, years of covering. We've been beating this drum a year and a half back, right? Like yeah. into the Willie Taggart era. So this isn't like a Mike Norvell thing. Yeah, it's been on a downward trend for several years and poor recruiting classes, bad retention of players, poor development of players, all those things coming together is, you know, some people call it a bad storm. I call it a cluster. You know what? Um, Injuries, coaching turnover too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do think they're going to maximize what they have at their disposal. I just think the level they can maximize it to is limited. Right. Bud Bud Elliott does the – the blue chip ratio. And he did that when he was at SB nation. Now that uh, propriety of, of 24 seven sports, which is great. FSU just misses out on having the blue chip ratio this year. I think they were like at 49.4%. So just there teetering on the edge, but I asked, Bud, I'm like, when was the last time FSU wasn't blue chip ratio? And you have to go, I think before pre playoffs, right? Pre BCS. So probably what 2012, 2011 was the last time. Yeah, probably the transition period of Bowden to Fisher. Yeah. That 08, 07, 08 class to 09, those kind of, and there was a lot of dead weight, and that really brought down the roster. Fisher had the luxury of getting ahead of that recruiting wise. And obviously, like the 11, 12, 13, 14 classes all were yeah. an uptick in talent. And it's a big reason why they reached the pinnacle that they did in 13. So by the time you filter out the recruiting classes prior to Jimbo taking over and the average kind of equals out, yeah, it's probably 2012 or so when, when that starts to shift. So we're talking about a decade. And just in terms of, of pure raw talent, this is probably the least talented roster that FSU has had. And not to say there's not talent on it. We had this conversation on the message board before. There is talent, uh, just the depth. I mean, as we're doing our top 40 lists, like Cyrus Fagan's on there, people are losing their mind. And you're going to find out like – gets kind of thin like there's not a whole lot of proven commodities outside of of some of the big names on defense and then tamori and terry yeah finding 22 good ones isn't real difficult with this team but pushing it to 44 is difficult mm-hmm. with this team and great mm-hmm. teams are made with depth where it's too deep at every position yeah depth and superstars at the top um mm-hmm. all right more recruiting what grade would you give norvell for offensive tackle and defensive tackle recruiting there's no 55. No, doesn't add context that Mike Norvell has only been here for three or four months. He just wants a straight up grade for two positions, which FSU has no commitments at. I, I'm going to give him an incomplete. incomplete. He can still come to class and finish the assignment. So man, anything that incomplete is really unfair right now. So I'm going to choose the two positions that FSU has no commitments at and has zero success at in three months. And I want you guys to grade that. All right. This feels uh, very null, null God inspired. <laughs> 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 All right. Um, Rude Boy 80, based on recruiting poll, how has the staff surprised you? Is there one coach who has impressed you on the recruiting trail, or is it truly a staff effort in recru- in evaluating recruits? How is the staff recruiting strategy, strategy different than Jimbo or the previous staff? So let's break this into three questions. So first of all, Chris, based on recruiting poll, how has this staff surprised you? I think they do a good job of recruiting as a staff. And I Mm -hmm. think they do a good job of building relationships that they believe can last, which is important when your program is in a point of transition and may struggle. You need to make sure you're not investing a boatload of time with a kid who's going to jump at the first sign of weakness. I think they've been good at doing that, evaluating that and taking guys that fall within that category. And 
if you look at it, a majority of the commitments they have are doing an effective job of being recruiters for them, which shows that there's buy-in. Yeah, I'll just add to that. How has the staff surprised you through their work ethic? Um, while the results might not be there, I could certainly see where that gets frustrating. And I can also see, and I've seen in the past, where there's times where coaches put on an FSU garden and gold shirt and they get a sense of entitlement that, you know, kids should be coming, kids should be listening. And while the results might not be there, the staff is still working just as hard. Um, they're doing a great job. Is there one coach who has impressed you on the recruiting trail or is it truly staff effort? Yeah, of course it's a staff effort, um, especially with this coaching staff. I don't know if anybody's necessarily impressed me per se, because these guys are just doing their job, but I didn't know anybody coming in. So it's been fun to get to know personalities and kind of see the dynamics of how the staff is going to work. I, I, I'd add that I, I'm impressed by Woodson. I think Woodson's a guy that if you tell him to go get on a dude and he can build a relationship with that dude, you're going to have a real, real good chance with that dude. I think he's a guy that kind of sticks with a kid for whatever reason. Um, he's a genuine. I think that's probably truthfully the reason. But I think that's kind of a common trait with a majority of the staff. I just I've seen it happen with Woodson. Mm-hmm. How like, has this staff? How's their recruiting strategy different than Jimbo's or the previous staff? I mean, the most glaring difference is this staff has to be, you know, they got to sell. Um, while Jimbo had to sell as well, Florida State was just at a different point. Um, Tallahassee was a destination for summer camps. Um, you saw, you know, talent on campus that rivaled the opening. And I don't want to say Florida State was in a position like Alabama where they kind of selected who they wanted. Florida State was in a much different position than they are now, where at times, you know, they're literally scraping the bottom of the barrel to find active bodies that could fill holes on the roster. Um, So this staff, the recruiting strategy differs in the fact that they got to do a lot of just nitty gritty evaluating and squinting of the eyes to project how guys are going to be two or three years down the road. Whereas Jimbo at certain times during his tenure at FSU was more or less selecting the players that he wanted. Yeah, disappointing thing for this staff is that their strategy is something they were unable to execute because of the circumstances of the pandemic. Their goal was to get kids on campus multiple times, go see the kids during eval periods, get them back here potentially multiple times in the summer. So multiple visits on the front and back side of them going to see the kids. Extreme relationship building, in-depth evaluation of both the player and the person. And you can still try to do some of that in a virtual environment, but obviously it's nowhere near the same level of what I think they intended to do, what they set out to do, what we saw them executing for that first 10 days of March that all then got wiped out. Last team question here. And I don't know if we have the answer to this, but what is the waiver status for Mississippi State transfers Lovett and Jones? I, I mean, the last time I spoke to Lovett, now it's been a while ago, but I asked him straight up, what's the status for his waiver? and he. He hadn't even, you know, he knew he was going to file for one, but he didn't even know the first step and what to do. But now that, um, you know, he signed and committed, I think that might be different. But Brandon, anything on your end? Nothing new. Uh, FSU will do that for him. I'm at the compliance will. Uh, We've talked about before. I think he has a pretty strong case to to do it. Uh, FSU will announce when it happens, too. They showed that with Jay Sean Corbin. Like, they'll announce Mm -hmm. if they put in a waiver, they'll be on top of it. It won't be a... Hey, we're gonna have to ask you a question during a press conference and tell us that they'll, they'll let us know. Yeah, somebody, somebody that know, I talked to that knows compliance through and through told me that Lovett's timing for everything was very beneficial to his goal of getting the waiver. With Jones, I don't think he falls in the same category from a timing standpoint. Okay, so we'll see. And both those guys have a red shirt year with three years of eligibility, so they're gonna play three years at Florida State whether they start that in 2020 or 2021 will depend on the waiver status. But yeah, I agree. It, it sounded like Lovett had a pretty good shot. Um, that's it for team questions. Let's throw it back to an off topic here. Chris, three, 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 three. I'm interested in each of your most favorite aspects about your job and least favorite. I like that. I can travel a good bit and do the job. Most times, you know, wherever the heck I am, I, you know, the Manny Rogers story, a few other things I did in the last few days, I was in Destin with my family at the beach enjoying a couple of days of somewhat downtime. And 
you know, I can afford to do that because I don't have to be on campus right now. So that's nice. Uh, for me, there's two aspects that I really Wait, enjoy. What does Chris like the oh, least? Oh, yeah, what do you just like? He kind of <laughs> oh, what do I like the least? Yeah, quit holding out on us. Um, I mean, I, I'm a firm believer of shoot me straight. Um, you know, if I ask a question, whether it's to a coach, an SID, somebody that has privy information to the situation, either tell me what I'm asking for or tell me you cannot tell me. That's but don't point. don't feed me oh, the bullshit in the middle. I'm not here for that. I'm not here to waste my time. He is not. Let's let's be direct with one another. Let's be straightforward and let's do it that way. So I'm I'm not a fan of that. That frustration can build, obviously. Uh, I think it's not any kind of a secret. It certainly built for me during the Taggart era and especially in year two of the Taggart era. And I just wasn't here for it. I've done this for too long. I'm too good at doing this to put up with that crap. Yeah. It was mainly me getting lied to him. Unfortunately. Uh, we were all getting fed some BS, but Josh got, Josh got burned the most publicly out of it. But you, it Chris just, said, it was, Chris it said was this bad two weeks, but I, I quickly, uh, realize that chris said that uh during the willie podcast he's like you you mess with one of us you're messing with all of us as a website and that that's going to be one of like my strengths or one of the things i like about this job and have really come to like about it it's like when i was at the orlando sentinel i would fly solo and that was during Mm -hmm. craziness during 13 you had to do a little bit of team a little bit of recruiting i mean i was doing like legal stuff which i'd never done before i mean i got broke a huge story during the, the james winston saga that uh that the accuser had filed like a, like a lawsuit against him uh, down in Orlando. And like, that was big news, but that was always having to do something. Now at Knowles 24 uh, seven, we have a really strong team. And if there's team stuff, like there's a chance Chris can do it. There's a tr- chance Josh can do it. There's a chance I can do it. Uh, so it's the ability to not always have all the pressure on you to, to be the first one to get a story up. Or if you're out with, you know, if I'm out on a date with, mm-hmm. with Ashley, like uh, someone else can sometimes, carry it that's really nice uh, the ability to work from home a good chunk of the time or like chris said you can travel and be flexible like that's that's also really nice too my wife works from home as well so we're able to have lunch with each other every day like that's been great the the downside the negative even though we do have three of us and, and four when you count zach during recruiting season like you still always have to be on you always have to have your phone by you that never really turns off you know chris the other day called me at one thirty in the morning after the Marvin Wilson tweet. I mean, that's, just, that's the reality is like, someone's always got to be around and on it. Last night I wrote about Cornell Jones, like at 10 o'clock at night because I realized he wasn't on the roster anymore. And I was just sitting down to relax for the evening. So that's the downside is it never really ends. There's never a, a loop mm. uh, that, that, that stops to continue. Yeah. You, you don't get to create your own schedule. Your schedule is very much created by your phone and by, you know, yeah. whenever things happen, they happen. But it also makes it fun sometimes too, as the trade-off. Right. Oh, there, there's still. If you don't still get an adrenaline rush from, oh, news just, I just got news. Like, don't do this job. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's a fun when you actually like when you report on something, you contact a couple sources, it gets confirmed, you publish it, and then you wait for that ten minutes or so to make sure like nothing happens and it's accurate and it's good. Like that's one of the best feelings in the world. It's euphoric. What about you, Josh? What's your favorite and least favorite? Uh, my favorite job. is probably the flexibility uh, that we have with this job, kind of being able to at times make your own schedule and do your work from anywhere. And I also like the way that 24-7 treats us um, for 10 years. We've been here, or I've been here for 10 years, you guys, almost 10 years. And we're kind of with our bosses, we're kind of in contact with them like on a need-to basis. Like when we need them, if we're having a difficulty with something, if we have a question, that's really the only times we're really in contact with them for the most part. You know, nobody tells us what to write, when to write it, and that sort of thing. They just, for the most part, trust us. And as long as we're doing a good job, they give us kind of the freedom to do that. Um, the least favorite is kind of along the lines of what you were saying. While we do have all that flexibility and stuff, and I do love my job in 10 years, I think there's only been one time that I didn't check or be on the site in a 48 hour period. Mm-hmm. And that was when I went to Costa Rica in like 2013. Um, yeah, there's days where I'm not on the site, you know, here and there, but like for, for a consistent two day period, like, like we're talking about, I don't think in 10 years it's, it's happened more than once or twice. 
And part of that is like Chris said, being on call. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to check on things, not only the news, but think about all the rumors that we chase. Mm -hmm. You know, how many times do we chase rumors and not put anything out? How many times does our phone blow up when we think we're relaxing to, to have some BS that is not true. So I just think that in, it's not something I think about every day, but like thinking and looking back on it, man, it would be nice to like work somewhere where I clock out at five o'clock on Friday and I'm not back until 9am on Monday. Like I'm not back mentally until 9am on Monday. I don't know how Chris does it with two, two kids. Uh, seriously. <laughs> like it's the, the added level of having to spread yourself a little thinner. Cause you have lives that you're responsible for. Like, it's uh and chris puts chris works more hours a week than than anyone else on the website probably anyone else on the network uh it's impressive it's not easy to do well i'm lucky that i have a wife who gets what i do and yeah. i have kids that like sports so right you know when i'm covering an fsu baseball game for example the boys are there with me especially carter my older boy he loves baseball i mean he you know i told him carter smith was in the transfer portal and i think it broke his little heart because <laughs> he really likes he really likes carter smith they have the same name that's great um, so uh, i'm lucky in that sense but you know i, I truthfully Josh's cousin, Jamie, once told me, make sure you always put family before the job. And I've had other guys who were in this business before I was in this business like I am now tell me things about family and the business. And I've always taken those to heart. I think it's something you got to understand that while I care about this job immensely and I want to make sure we have a great site and we put forth a great product, my family is always going to come first. Chris, what happened to text alert? Somebody wants to know. Uh, we've changed the system that we're using for them. They're still available. You can go into your settings under your name in the upper right corner of the website. You can add the text alerts. They should still come through. For example, last evening, we sent one for CJ Van Eyck being selected by the Toronto Blue Jays and Shane Drohan being selected by the Boston Red Sox in the MLB draft. Those were two we sent last evening. We sent them consistently for commitments, some other news here and there. But they're still there. They just changed the system they're using. I believe you have to go back in and re-sign up for it. It's very easy to do. And they're actually much better text alerts. They have a link that's built into them now, allowing more text to actually be in the text alert, which for me, having to create them, it's, it's much nicer. All right. Let's take a quick commercial break, and then we'll finish up with the final five questions. Oh, God, there's more? And we are back on the bench, um, wrapping up our Q&A here with the members at Knowles 24-7. We really appreciate you guys submitting all these questions. A lot of them were really good. Some of them were shitty. Most of, them, right. were good. Most of them were good because you challenged them and said that you wouldn't read them if they were shitty like I do. And it worked. Good pressure. <laughs> that is true. That is true. All right, Chris, you wrote about Cameron Scott recently. Um, what are your thoughts on Cameron Scott, offensive tackle, compared to Rodney Orr, Gardner Langlo, or some of the other tackles that FSU is involved with? He does have the measurable measurables that maybe a guy like Orr has. Orr's got the more natural body type you want at the tackle position. Cameron Scott, to me, is more of a straight-ahead road grader type tackle, a guy who can definitely be a good guard who you can play at tackle. He's capable of handling it. I like his film. I know Stanone liked his film when he watched mm-hmm. it, too. You know, I think he's a kid who's definitely trending up from formerly being a Texas-San Antonio commitment you know, FSU Old Miss, they're involved. Old Miss offered already. So I like him. I, I think I'd put him between Orr and Langlo. I haven't ever seen Langlo in person. I don't love Langlo's film. I don't think it's bad, but I'm not like passionately in love with it. I kind of understand why I think FSU took a slow approach to Langlo. And I know people were unhappy when he committed to Auburn and obviously another one off the board type thing. But like, I just never was all the way in on Garner Langlo based off what I have at my fingertips to watch him. Me, do you know where, what level Cameron Scott plays at in Texas? Cause he's going against some good sized boys and like the field they were playing on looked like it was a, like a college field. So I'm imagining I'm, they got pretty far in the playoffs. I'm not sure which classification it is. I didn't ask like someone like Gabe Brooks or Brian Peroni. Those guys are great for Texas knowledge um, or Mike Roach, but I talked to you. I got, guys more mm-hmm. i know judson's a school that's produced a good amount of kids especially in recent years in fact several of their kids have ended up at texas san antonio that's part of the reason 
Cam was kind of attached to that school early on. Okay. Um, it, it's a good program. It's not one of these programs where kids coming out of woodwork for the first time in 10 years. It's not that binding stretch. It looked like he was going just watching a few minutes of the highlights. And that's usually all you need if you think someone's like good and to take it doesn't take too long. Like he looked like he was going against. Yeah. If you, if you can He's grab my attention uh, as a lineman on either side of the ball in the first minute of a highlight film, if you grab my attention, yeah, sure. you're doing what you're supposed to and your highlight films put the way put it yep. together the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Chop Noel. How far back has the pandemic put the FSU coaches in being able to build relationships with the high school coaches in the state since they can't visit the schools? Have they been using other methods to try and keep them going after the meet and greets? They have been. They've been uh, FaceTiming with different staffs. They've done like coaches associations, like in Georgia, the minority coaches association, I know has had FSU head coach and assistants on. Uh, they've done different things like that to try to stay as attached as possible. I think they very much have an open, you know, communication policy with people of that sort of high school coaches and high school people that they can contact them. I know Coach Lachlan's done some things to create some bridges. So they're making a big effort there. Obviously, they probably would have preferred to have them in for a practice, a cookout, come sit in our office, come sit in our meetings. Those things all are better than the virtual environment, but there's still an effort being made, certainly. All right. Real quick, guys, like how much, like, can you quantify how much that not having the spring to be able to go out and evaluate, see coaches in person, have them come? Like, I think it hurts the most for Florida State just because they didn't have a lot of coaches that knew that had the relationships in the state of Florida. And one of the things in the state of Florida that happens every spring is these coaches in the state, they just get kids that showed up you know, Oh, Hey, I got this defensive tackle that just transferred in from Indiana or, Oh, you know, this kid from Arkansas, I I don't know who he is, but coach, you you guys better come take a look at him. And, and without that, this spring, I know that they've developed relationships via zoom and done these things, but you can't replace that face-to-face contact. And I think FSU would have done great hitting the road. All these coaches have phenomenal personalities and it's one thing to do it via zoom like everybody else is, but it's just another to do it in person. And I think that hurt. My my fear, if I'm curious, tell me if I'm being dramatic, I guess my fear is like this sets them back almost a year in terms of like where they would like their development or their relationship and development with, with those relationships with coaches to be. Well, I think, I think for most coaches in a year one situation, it's now a year zero situation because of the circumstances. So yeah, I definitely think that's true. I think in FSU's case, because a lot of this staff doesn't have a great deal of attachment to the sunshine state or even a predominant attachment to the Southeast that it sets them back because they haven't been able to go and have those in-person interactions that I think would pay off. And people are like, well, why do you have to, you know, kiss up to those type of people? Well, one, they got the players, you know, they're going to shoot you straight about who and what that player is on and off the field. Also, you need to get them to Tallahassee. Mom and dad can't drive them. That's the next person up usually who can bring them up here. So that's why it's so important for a lot of that to be done. Plus, you just want to have a good relationship. You want to be able to offer a kid at so-and-so school in Central Florida and for that coach to go, you know, Coach Norvell and whoever recruits our area, those are good guys. I like those guys. I like when I see the assistant that comes through our door here. That's the kind of thing that carries weight, matters. And when a kid hears that, it gives the offer a little more weight than, say, you know, Minnesota offering a kid in Florida. You know, that's the kind of thing where those relationships can have dividends that pay off that can't truly be measured. They're not quantifiable, but they do matter. Mm -hmm. All right. Mariner 51 wants to know, Chris, Josh, Brennan, favorite teams for MLB, NBA and NFL. Chris, first Cardinals, Magic Dolphins, Brendan. Josh just called me Brandon and Brennan during this podcast. And he also called Brandon Jennings, Brendan. And I and I'm the bumbling just idiot. Covering my bases. <laughs> it could be anything. Uh, what, what what the magic? Unfortunately, NBA, MLB, NFL, MLB. I I guess the Rays. I don't have a huge rooting interest. So I like to see them do well. Uh, and then the Jags. Unfortunately, for uh, and none of my teams have ever won a championship. They all gotcha. Suck. Well, being born and raised in Tampa Bay, I'm Rays, Magic, and Bucks. I don't have much of a choice. The only other team I rooted for was the Indians prior to '98. Um, Used to go to games at Old Municipal and uh, the Jake back in the 80s and 90s. My parents are from there. Uh, Let's see. One more question. This is it. 
FSU FSU wants to know how difficult has it been to crack into Norvell's circle to get recruiting info? I mean, uh, it's easier when you have more in-person interaction with people to kind of be comfortable around each other, but they've treated us well. They've been a good staff to us. I, I have no gripes about the relationship that we've been able to build since early December and especially since January, February. Yeah. You work with them. They work with you. It's, it, it goes both ways, but I think they've been very fair. And no one's, no one's lied to us, which I appreciate. Like that's the big thing. You don't have to, if you don't want to answer something, you're under no obligation, but don't, I mean, that's what the issue we had with the previous staff was there was purposeful misdirection. And most times when clarification is asked for, you know, is this offer legit? Is this a kid that truly is a take? Those type of things, you get a straight answer. And Chris's biggest strength, like, is he's on the bench all the time, right? So that's one of, the, one of his biggest strengths. So the inability, I, though, to, like, just the coaches can't go see high school coaches in person, you not being able to have that face-to-face interaction, you know, it's... We're still developing relationships, I think it's fair to say. Josh will probably agree with this. Some of the best relationships I've ever built in this job were either built during the spring on a high school campus football field or during the summer on the football field mm-hmm. during a camp. Yep. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I don't, I think it's been um it's been it's been fine. It'll always be fine. I mean, I remember when James Coley left, right? And everybody said, Oh, Newberg's never gonna have any more information. And then I was still doing okay. And Dossie left and they said that was his guy. And Tim Brewster left and they said Newberg's never gonna and how, does everyone, how does everyone know who your guys are? <laughs> Plus, they didn't all, Brewster kind of hate you? Yeah. I mean, they were being yeah, honest. Everybody <laughs> everybody thought me and Brewster were like, you know, walking hand in hand this whole time that he was there. And really we uh had a very contentious relationship the entire time he was at Florida State. Um but yeah, information never comes from one person or, or anything like that. And um, sources will never be an issue for me, for us. Uh, you see how it's going during the pandemic. I mean, we're the only FSU outlet that's covering and breaking news. So I would say things are going well. That's it, Brandon. That's it. That's all I got. <laughs> that's the pod. All right. Well, listen, guys. It was a great Q&A. I think we should do these about once a month. I really appreciate all the questions that you guys submitted. Um, Before we get out of here, though, I want to ask you to do one thing. If you could, please go give us five stars on iTunes. Um, If you take out your phone and you search on the bench, FSU football podcast, it'll come up. Rate us five stars and drop us a review. We appreciate it. Uh, For Brendan Sinone, for Chris Nee. I'm Josh Newberg, and thank you for listening to On the Bench.